0: On Thursday, Nancy Pelosi and a group of Democrats were scheduled to fly to visit the troops in Afghanistan. They were literally sitting on the bus on the way to Andrews Air Force Base. They're sitting on the bus when Nancy Pelosi gets a letter from President Trump canceling the trip. This was in response to Pelosi's threat to Trump to cancel the State of the Union address. You cannot make it up. Trump said that he's in charge of military aircraft and he was not going to give them access to military aircraft. Trump said it was inappropriate to fly, uh, visit the troops while this shutdown was going on and that Pelosi should stay in Washington to negotiate a deal and to try to end this shutdown. and And here's a quote from President Trump's letter. Quote, Obviously, if you want to make your journey by flying commercial That would certainly be your prerogative. That's a direct quote from the letter. And here's another quote. I look forward to seeing you soon and even more forward to watching our open and dangerous southern border finally receive the attention, funding, and security it so desperately deserves. So this letter was dripping with sarcasm. And President Trump, tit for tat here, he cancels Pelosi's trip in response to her threatening to cancel the State of the Union address. This is why we elected pre- him president, was to do this kind of thing. Jeb Bush would never have done this. Mitt Romney would never have done this. And the Democrats, they're so confounded at this point. They, they just, they cannot beat him. See, whatever they try to do, he will always outfox them with this kind of thing. They're trying to play to beat him at his own game, and it's never going to work. And think about this, folks, and we'll get to the whole Michael Cohn fiasco here coming up in a moment. That totally outrageous. But this is how it's been happening here for the last few years. See, Trump cares about winning above all else. So he'll break whatever rules need to be broken. He doesn't buy into this, excuse me, Washington establishment protocol where there are certain things that you're just not allowed to do. You're not allowed to say this like invisible line. Trump, all bets are off. You know, it's scorched earth policy. And you know what? With things being so desperately co- complex these days in Washington, and with so many crises going on, you know, this is exactly how it should be done. And until Trump came along, the politicians, they were in this bubble, so they would follow these rules. They don't play it safe, right? So it's like you were safe to win because you knew the person you were running against. You know, Obama knew that John McCain was just not going to say certain things because it was against the rules, so Obama was able to win. But now, you know, because Trump literally doesn't he just totally ignores those rules. He, he He doesn't care about them. He doesn't even know them. You know, and that's why Mitt Romney's so frustrated. That's why Jeff Lake is so frustrated. The Republicans who like they just, you know, they really deep down, they want to be like Trump, but they just don't know how. By the way, some politicians do understand it. You know, Lindsey Graham is doing a real turnaround here. On the other side, Ocasio Cortez, she also is breaking a lot of rules, which is why we have to be careful about her. You know, even though she doesn't nearly have the abilities that that, that President Trump has, but she does have that one detail down pat where it's like she doesn't care about the rules. There was a bombshell report by BuzzFeed, the mainstream media, saying that Bob Mueller had evidence that President Trump instructed Michael Cohn to lie to Congress. So BuzzFeed said there's evidence uh, that Mueller was in possession of that Trump told his lawyer, Michael Cohn, to lie about, I guess, the Moscow, the plan to build the Trump Tower in Moscow. And the news networks went berserk. They became even more obsessed than usual talking about impeaching President Trump. And on Friday, to the great dismay of the mainstream media, Bob Mueller issued a statement saying that the report is totally false. This is very rare. As we know, Bob Mueller never issues statements talking about the evidence that he has or doesn't have, which is part of why it's so frustrating, because there's so little transparency. But Bob Mueller, this story, it was so false and so egregious that Bob Mueller actually released this rare statement saying, well, "We have no evidence that President Trump asked Michael Cohen to lie." So you talk about fake news. This is literally this is the ultimate. When you look up fake news in the dictionary, they show you this kind of story. And you know, I'm tired of people saying to me, "You know, let's not exaggerate here. It's not fake news. It may be slanted." It may be biased, you know, 90%, 90% in the last year uh, of, of mainstream media reporting 90% negative against President Trump. I don't know where they found the 10% that's actually not negative, but 90%, I mean, it's a shocking number. This, this is as egregious as it gets. Totally fake story here that BuzzFeed made up, and if it wasn't for Mueller actually going out of his way. To deny the story, that then the media would still be talking about it. Before Mueller released his statement, CNN and MSNBC collectively used the word impeach almost 200 times on Friday, nearly 200 times on Friday, they used the word impeach, just these two channels, CNN and MSNBC, before Bob Mueller. And imagine how disappointed they must have been, how deflated they must have been after Mueller released his statement, you know, but unbelievable, they're just so excited, like this kind of thing, they actually want this, they actually want the president to be impeached, you know, as terrible as that would be, as damaging as that would be for the country, but they're actually disappointed, and you know, Mike Pence gave a rare interview on Sunday today discussing the media's constant obsession with impeaching Trump, and those are his words, constant obsession, Quote from Pence, this week, the American people saw the hyper partisanship among Democrats to assume the worst about this president and many in the national media's willingness to assume the worst about the president. All right. Meanwhile, this weekend, the president gave a speech and he actually said that he's willing to offer the Democrats a deal to protect the dreamers for three years in return for $5.7 billion in wall funding. I'm not surprised we've told you that Trump has expressed this type of thing in the past, that he'd be interested in a dreamer deal in return for his border wall funding. And in this speech, it was a powerful speech, but, you know, a lot of the same stuff. He didn't really, if you ask me, he didn't do the best possible job of attacking the Democrats and blaming them for the shutdown. Somebody needs to do that sooner or later because the polls do show Trump's approval rating is slipping and polls show that uh, the country is blaming Trump for the shutdown. And I think a big reason is because they don't fully understand. They're buying into the mainstream media narrative and they don't realize that Trump is the one who's willing to pretty much give away everything he's got almost, you know, in return for a wall. That's how big a deal this is. And I'm not sure I agree with him. A lot of conservatives are a little concerned. But Trump, in this speech, he reiterated the huge crisis at the border and he said the wall is not immoral. It's the opposite of immoral. It's actually going to protect. The country and going to protect the illegal that it's supposed to be harming, right? But it really would help them too, because a lot of them uh, take these dangerous journeys. And meanwhile, the media is busy fact-checking the minutiae. You know, well, President Trump claimed that all the drugs, all the heroin problems, come from the southern border. Is that true? And they and they do all these fact checks about the details, the nitty-gritty of Trump's statements like this. And I really don't care. I don't care if Trump's numbers are completely accurate or if he, you know, once in a while he'll exaggerate something or maybe he can't fully back it all up with data, you know, data. I don't care about that. Oh, that's a distraction because everybody knows that the, the border is a major crisis. The proof is that Schumer and Pelosi were screaming about the border crisis uh, under Obama and they actually voted for a wall under Obama. And yet somehow they've done this reversal. Coincidentally, Trump is in favor of a wall and now Schumer and Pelosi are against the wall. They used to be against... The war in Syria. Then Trump says he's pulling the the troops out of Syria, and suddenly Schumer and Pelosi are in favor of the uh, of of the troops being in Syria. You know, as Michael Goodwin said, all Trump needs to do is uh, believe in a certain policy. And suddenly that that dictates uh, Schumer and Pelosi. Now, some people on the right are actually upset with President Trump uh, saying that he's offering an amnesty deal and comparing him to Jeb Bush. Now, uh, interestingly, Trump in a tweet today, Sunday, he did say that he, he, he insisted that this is not amnesty, but he said, you know, if there was a big deal that, was, that the Democrats are willing to make uh, on the border, then he might be willing to to not make a push to catch the 11 million people who are in this country illegally. He's, he's sort of implying you know, that he would be willing to at least discuss amnesty for the right deal. He pretty much said that straight out, that if the Democrats offered him the right deal in return, he'd be willing to discuss amnesty. So a lot of conservative pundits and analysts are are, are not happy with that aspect of President Trump. Of course, we'll have to see here as the day-to-day events unfold. Now the latest Bob Mueller is looking into a breakfast celebrating President Trump's inauguration, January 18th, 2017, two days before Trump's inauguration. There was a breakfast held. It was attended by Congressman Devin Nunez and other Trump supporters. And the Mueller team is investigating whether donations were made illegally at this breakfast or to fund this breakfast that were really just meant to sort of funnel Illegal donations or unreported donations into Trump's inauguration fund by Middle Eastern donors, donors from Qatar, Saudi Arabia, etc. So, I mean, give me a break. This is the latest now. You know, it's like, what crime did Trump not commit? You know, they try one, that doesn't work. There's this game at arcades called Whack a Mole, where like the mole jumps out and you keep having to hit it with the hammer. The, if you if you catch the moles, they jump out of their bunch of different holes and you know you have to figure out which one they're going to jump out of and then try to whack it. It's called whack a mole. That's what this is, Mueller against President Trump, you know, they're so desperate to bring him down. So it was collusion and then that was debunked and then it became obstruction and then it became campaign finance, campaign finance violations telling Michael Cohen to lie to Congress. It's like we know he's a crook. He has to be a crook. Because we've got to get him out of office because he's been such a staunch conservative. And he's been, you know, so opposed to the establishment. we got to bring him down. And it's like now it's a question of how are you going to bring him down? And the fact, by the way, think about this. The fact that they have literally thrown everything they've got against him. And the special counsel has had just enormous leeway to come after Trump on every level. And yet still he has not been impeached. Still there have not been any charges brought against him. Uh, what does that show you? That shows you how hard it is to find anything. That shows you, if anything, that does a better job of clearing him and of demonstrating his innocence than anything we could have hoped for. All right, uh, one listener, a fan of the show, has written an email to me saying that uh, he has, in fact, been affected by the shutdown, wanted me to sort of point that out, that there are real people out there being affected by the shutdown. And look, you know, I, I, that, I do sympathize with anybody who's being affected by, impacted by the shutdown, I understand it could be very, very stressful and and very financially damaging. So this person, he, he works for, <clears throat> excuse me, he works for a company that does uh, contracting for the government. So they have these federal contracts and they do some some sort of job. They do these projects for the federal government. They get hired as contractors. So they're not actual employees of the federal government, but they are contractors that get paid federal dollars. And uh, these contracts, a lot of them have been suspended as a result of the shutdown. So if I understood correctly, his company has about 120 employees, the company that he works for. He's one of the employees. 80 of them are considered essential. So they're continuing to work and they're going to get paid, probably not yet, but they're going to get paid for their work But 40 of them have actually, their jobs have been suspended because they're considered non-essential. This particular listener, he actually is considered essential. So he is continuing to work and he's going to get back pay. President Trump just signed the bill into law guaranteeing back pay for all federal workers. However, that's not going to help these contractors. It'll help this listener because he's working. He's essential. But any of the non-essential contractors, they're not working and they're not going to get back pay because they're not employees. They're not working for the government. They're being contracted, hired out. Uh, per, per contract, and therefore uh, they're not going to get back pay because they're not employees, so they're not doing any work right now. Therefore, there's nothing to pay them for, so that is pretty sad. Look, I mean, that's sort of how it goes, and I'm not trying to minimize it. I understand that people out there are suffering, and hopefully this shutdown will come to an end soon, assuming uh, the Democrats meet President Trump's demands and give him the wall funding that he certainly deserves. All right, this past weekend, there was a Women's March rally In New York, Linda Sarsour, the pro-Palestinian activist, spoke at this rally and defended the BDS movement. Now, what does the BDS movement have to do with Women's March? Absolutely nothing, at least not their real mission, their official mission, but uh, which is, of course, to protect women's rights. However, uh, you know, as we know, the Women's March is pretty much a front for anti-Semitism. And by the way, guess who else was at this rally? Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, and she actually spoke at this rally, uh, the the DNC withdrew their support uh, for the for women's March because their leaders are anti-Semites. They're basically they, they, they've announced it. They're basically proud of their anti-Semitism. They have accused the Jews of uh, abusing black and brown people. And 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 they're they 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 have defended their support for Louis Farrakhan, for the vicious anti Semite Louis Farrakhan. So much so that the DNC has actually withdrawn their support in addition to many, many other agencies and organizations. I mean, for the DNC to withdraw their support. This is they are extreme as can be. And yet Ocasio Cortez shows up and right there alongside Linda Sarsour, so that should make us all very outraged. We need to be aware of the kind of hatred there is out there. There's no reason the Women's March should hate Jews, and yet they do, so that says a lot. Okay, uh, I want to give a little perspective here. You know, with this whole shutdown fight happening, I said to myself, you know, we really have to be so grateful that this is the debate that's happening. I know it's frustrating that the Democrats just refuse to give President Trump anything he asks for, but think about how far we've come here, you know, if Hillary were the president right now, the debate would not be about the border wall. The debate would be how long should we wait until we abolish ICE? You know, they'd be talking about Medicare for all. They're talking about it now, but they'd be moving toward Medicare for all, you know, which would be a total monstrosity and it would cost the federal government tens of trillions of dollars. You know, uh, the media would be happy, by the way. Hillary would be pulling out of Syria, but the media would be praising her, unlike they do to President Trump. You know, and the embassy, of course, would still be in Tel Aviv. Uh, We'd still be paying the majority of NATO funding and doing mostly work to protect those countries, not ourselves. The UN would be so much more extreme, so much more anti-Israel than they are, and of course Iran, Iran, th- th- we would still be in the nuclear deal, and Iran would be moving as close as they could uh, to centrifuges, to enriching uranium, to having nuclear weapons, and yet nobody would be doing a thing about it. ISIS would still be running wild. North Korea would still be testing missiles, and you know, and you think about. Obama's legacy and all the environmental restrictions, the Paris Climate Accord, the Iranian nuclear deal. I mean, uh, and by the way, the Supreme Court, how about the Supreme Court? If Hillary Clinton were president right now, the Supreme Court would have six or seven liberals and— you know, three or four conservatives and who knows how, how, how much worse that situation would become just for the Supreme Court alone. If nothing else, it was worth having President Trump as president. But in addition to all the other things, you know, so he really has done everything he could to dismantle the Obama legacy, even even Obamacare right now. You know, it, it's still it's still going strong, but it's weaker than it would have been. And it's in a much better place than it would have been uh, had had Hillary uh been elected president, so we have to be really grateful for that. All right, and finally, this is not politics-related. The billboard of the future, I saw a story, and it just seems so cool that I wanted to share it with you. Uh, the billboard of the future, they're saying it's going to happen soon. It's going to be advertisements in space. There's going to be a billboard, pretty much, a form of, of one, in outer space that we're going to be able to see. And the idea is it's a Russian company that's planning to launch these mini satellites into space and then they're going to have a cluster of satellites floating in space And they're going to be able to design it. There's going to be a bunch of them right near each other. They'll be able to design it. So if they want to advertise Geico, they'll be able to have the satellites move into place to spell out Geico. And, you know, the slogan, 15 minutes can save you, whatever. So they're going to actually be able, it's just an example, but they'll be able to actually do all sorts of different designs and words by just moving around these satellites in space. And then it'll light up the night sky. We'll look up in space and we'll actually see an advertisement right there in space uh, lit up, you know, by these satellites. I just thought that was pretty fascinating. They're saying this may happen by 2020. We'll keep an eye on that and everything else. It's been fun today once again, and uh, we will see you next time.